This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I should say host, but also realtors in Vancouver with Oakland Realty. And today we've got a fantastic episode. We've got to meet Joe Hall. She is the principal at Junction Co. Junction Co., Adam, is a consulting firm that Amit founded. Right. She's, she founded this, this company. And not only is she consulting with some of the big top dogs in, in Vancouver, she's global. Yeah. And yeah. she's, she's been, and we'll let her tell her bio, but been in the business a very long time in various capacities, been around the world talking real estate back in Vancouver. And the one thing I just wanted to say that, that I really, there's a lot of takeaways here, but the one thing that has really stuck with me is talking about making communities, whether it's a condo tower or the amenity space or a townhome development, making it more inclusive with a new perspective, bringing different perspectives to these buildings. Cause I think for a long, long time, as we talk about today, it's been dominated by a single perspective that serves a specific person's idea right. of what is important and not necessarily everyone. So it's, it's kind of interesting how Amit is really at the forefront of pushing, pushing those boundaries. Yeah. Pushing those boundaries and having a ton of success with developments and advising developers and uh, Amit, we should say, came highly recommended to us from Michael Ferreira, past right. guest fan favorite. This is a great conversation, tons of takeaways. And I should say one thing about Amit is I think she got a real estate license when she was like 13 or something, right? right? It was right. like maybe 18, but but really when she was L- young. Literally, I think, yeah, like 18 and, or 19. Yeah. And, and came from a real estate family. So this is like real estate in the city. It's what she she lives, what she breathes. She understands it. So many great takeaways and, from And today. she's not away, afraid to put people on blast. Well, a couple, couple people and things put on blast uh, during this show. Number one, the city of Vancouver. Yeah. Number two, the Scalina brothers. <laughs> we got put on hard blast. <laughs> Stay tuned for that. If you ever want to see two guys shaking in their boots, uh, watch it on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> but if you want to hear two guys shaking in their boots... Uh, just stay tuned. <laughs> Absolutely. But Adam, before we get to our talk with Amit, I do want to mention VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, our new site, tons of positive feedback, way easier to navigate uh, and kind of figure out what you're interested in and delve into the last seven or eight years of content we've been producing on the show. But we also have a help with selling button right. that is great because it brings you to the resources we've put together when it comes to selling your property here in Vancouver. Yeah, it's a great, and, and we've talked about it on the show before, but we'll mention it again. Sold plan starts with uh, start on launch date is what that acronym stands for. And the reality is, is this is a guide to get sold for top dollar. It's, it's the early preparation stage of getting your, ready, your home ready for market, I should say. And and the other thing about it is it's a useful step-by-step 
timeline really is what it is. Uh, you pick when you want to launch your property and you work your way backwards. And I think we've done a really good job formatting it. It's uh, really easy to understand. If you want a copy of the sold plan, head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, click on the button for sellers, and it's going to give you an option to download the sold plan in real time. I was going to say two things I wanted to say about that. One, we'd love to help. And two, you can get it immediately. There is a link there to download the plan. So VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, sell with us. Yeah. And the site is really good. The bounce rate, which I understand is fewer people are bouncing from the site, <laughs> which is which is good. I mean, people are finding value over there. No, they're hanging around. That's what that means, right? It's like the how, show long, notes are how, really good. how long are people spending on the site? And they're spending a lot of time because yeah. there's a lot of valuable information. So VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. One other thing, Adam, the last game of the uh, Canucks season is on Saturday with the Calgary Flames. Wow. We are giving away this week two tickets, and these are pretty good tickets. Yeah. These are, I want to say behind the Canucks net, but somebody's going to say those don't sound like good tickets. They're kind of this side. You know what this thing is about these tickets? You can see like the hairs on the guy's face in the corner. That's what I want to see at a hockey game. This is, uh, here's the thing. Tickets used to be like not even in the nosebleeds. We like it was almost like sold. you were in a helicopter above the arena. But you know what? In in my defense, because I picked those tickets, I think I got hoodwinked. Uh, yeah. I think the guy was like, I got to move these tickets. Yeah. Uh, I, got a, I got a live one on the line. But we've changed. We've changed those tickets. Right. We've changed them. Now they're lower bowl. Now they're about 10 rows We're up. We're the ninth row. We're the ninth, ninth row. row. And uh, they're great. And so the, the biggest difference, and everyone that's, uh, I mean, everyone that's listened to this show, I'm sure has been to a Canucks game, but... The big thing is our old tickets, you you used to see the game kind of unfold a bird's from like the view. bird's eye view. Now, it's like when something's happening in the corner, you're flinching. Like you're just in the action. And and the best thing about it is uh, there's also a guy that comes down with beer and peanuts. And uh, yeah, he, he delivers it right to your seat. Is that right? I well, think that might happen everywhere. That might just be uh, my <laughs> wife was very... Loud and aggressive when it comes to come here <laughs> to, to beer and peanuts. Will they, will they go anywhere? I thought it was just our seats. Yeah, I, Before well, the guy had to climb the ladder. In, <laughs> hard to do. In any event, uh, we are giving away these tickets on Saturday. We've had a ton of new followers on Instagram. We're trying to provide a lot of value related to our show over there. But uh, those will be given away this week. So head over to at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast to follow find out how you can enter to win those tickets. And that's not all we're giving away over there. We're giving away great content and we're giving away t-shirts. Yeah, absolutely. And pretty soon tote bags. So stay tuned for that. And Matt, without further ado, this is a fantastic conversation. Wait until you hear the Scalina brothers put on blast. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the lower mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Berquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sonehouse, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. 
With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sonehouse offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at marconhomes. Marcon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Amit Johal. She is the principal at Junction Collective. How are you doing, Amit? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, guys. Also known as Junction Co. That's right. Right. Yeah, thanks for coming down, Amit, and thanks for your time. Maybe can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and Junction Co.? Yes. First of all, thank you again for having me here. It's uh, awesome to sit around and talk about the things that we know and share our insights and experience. It's definitely all new. I haven't really been on a mic talking about these things. So, uh, you know, hopefully I don't offend anyone. But if I do, that's not a bad thing either. (laughs) (laughs) It like starts conversations and everyone has different perspectives. So um, thank you for having me. I do have to go on the record and call you guys out respectfully for the lack of women and diversity on your channel to date or your podcast. So we were expecting. I, I, won't, I won't razz you too much, but uh, on behalf of the amazing, talented people in this industry, I think it's uh, you have a great platform and I hope you get diverse voices to share their perspectives and knowledge. And uh, that rounds out our industry and represents our industry. So this takes me back to my first phone call with you. <laughs> Where I shut down and I'm being nice. Adam. I'm I know. Being nice. I know. I, I came into the office and he was curled up in a ball. Yeah. Like I was rocking back and forth. I was ringing yeah. the shame bell. Shame. Yeah. I've been shame. I got to tell you, we we took it to heart. Uh, no, and well, no, and we we and been, we have been trying. Uh, probably not hard enough, but we it's been on our radar for a while to be working towards more diverse voices. Let's put it that way, for sure. And I think, I, you know what? I think um, we, we did talk a little bit about this as well. Mm-hmm. Not so much in residential sales, but in the development community, is it fair to say that the management of a lot of development companies is a little lopsided when it comes to gender? Because we've had a lot of developers on over the years and a lot of them have been males at the top. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the reality of the business today is that most of the developer, as we call them, right. are gentlemen. And the executive teams or leadership teams are definitely seeing a lot more diversity and we're seeing more women at the table. However, I must go on record to say that I was just having lunch with a friend and she's on the development side. So I've traditionally been marketing and sales. She's development. There's definitely a lot of crossover and she's young. And um, her perspective, too, was like, man, I'm still like the only girl, you know, the only woman represented at the table. So, yes, it's a challenge. I hope the future of our industry sees more women at the helm. And I'm advocating on a couple different scenarios where working with an investor who is funding and piloting an all-women-led uh, development from acquisition, development, marketing, sales, construction. You know, we want to see women doing that together. You know, is it as an example? Maybe, but to be honest, I just want to work with like dope women. And if I have any sort of influence to like rally the troops and make that happen and have a an organization or a fund support that, then let's do it. But 
there are amazing women in this industry. There's yes. on all fronts, construction, development, acquisition, and uh, marketing sales, as we know, but they are there and uh, they should be at the table and good to hear their voice. They will be at this table. Good. And I, I, listen, I don't want to like razz you guys or make an example out of you, but I think there's something really important in observing, right? It's like, you guys are great guys. I'm sure you didn't, none of this is with intention or anything, but so is this, this is very indicative of the state of like, oh man, we didn't even think about it or we kind of yeah. did, but then we kept going. It's and right. it's like, grooves that ah, you move you know, through, and it's moving like, and... It wasn't on your radar until recently or whatever the journey has been, but uh, it's not with ill intent. It's not intentional, but that is where bias exists. Right. Right. It's 100%. when you don't know you're doing it. You're right. not doing it to be like malicious. No. Well, I, I'm just thinking about that in all women led team. Is that is is the idea there? Well, maybe I'll put it to you. Do you think that changes outcomes? Yes. OK, I'm curious to hear how. I do. Um, there's a great book that I read recently, and I wish I sent a bunch of copies to some of my friends in the industry, and uh, it's Urban Feminism. Uh, it's not, I think the word feminism can be really scary. I don't, I, I don't even know what it means to be a feminist. I'm just a woman in this world trying to forge my way and can relate to other women's experiences. And I think that's the reason why we're advocating it for it to be something that is an investment. I think, uh, again, you know, it's like, I don't want to be so siloed to be like, men are like this, women are like this. Let's just approach it from a diversity perspective. Mm -hmm. And perspective being the key word is that, Everyone has a very distinct lens in which they're looking at this business that we do at every step. I think the more diverse people you have that are looking at it and participating and contributing, uh, you get a greater uh, look, you get more perspective, you see a wider view um, than just doing what you've always been doing. And I think that is reflected when you have women, when you have diverse backgrounds, it just makes for a better project. So what I want to, going back to the book, my digressions take way longer than the actual point. Yeah, so no, but it's already, <laughs> I'm already taking notes and thinking of things. It's so the, the thing I loved about this book was like, it was a total aha moment for me. You know, it's like this, uh, Leslie Kern, I believe is her name. Apologies if I'm wrong, but look it up. It's a great book. And it, it talks about women and immigrants being the first occupiers of urban centers. When women started to work, a lot of single women coming into the city, not having housing, immigrants. We look at Chinatowns. They're usually very close to the city center. So housing kind of took its form by accommodating those groups. Then when you look at the advancement of real estate development, I've been in many boardrooms looking over many plans, looking at the playground, looking at, you know, we're looking at, okay, well, does the playground meet code? Are we using the right materials? What is the city requirement? And what this book showed me was, is there a voice at the table that is advocating for if a mother is here with her child, has to go to the bathroom, has another one on the playground, how are those easily accessible? Or a stroller on a, a curb or any, you know, downtown is chock full of young families, you know, all sorts of diverse people. So uh, also understanding that there are so many people that are urban, you know, they study urbanism hmm. um, uh, from an academic level. I can honestly say we've never had, I've never had those people at the table. I mean, hmm. people who study, you know, what makes 
for a great city? And how is that plan to accommodate um, all walks of life or children, women, you know, whatever the case may be? I haven't had the good fortune of collaborating with someone at the table from that perspective. It's usually the development team and the marketing team and the sales team. And so sometimes it's also tough to advocate for those things if you're the sales you know, you're representing sales because your voice needs to make sure that you're getting a product that you can sell. Um, or marketing is like, do we have enough things to talk about? But it's never really focused on like, what is the woman's perspective of this? Right. Or, or, and not even a, like, I'm just thinking aloud here, but not necessarily the woman's perspective, but presumably this, the idea of the playground with two kids mm-hmm. and uh, a mother trying to sort out how to yeah. get one of the kids to the bathroom is a perspective that's historically been lost mm-hmm. in the development planning community because those aren't the things most people at the table are thinking about mm-hmm. and thinking about okay how does that how does that actually factor into the way that we should be planning these multifamily yeah communities and, or potentially communities and and here's i mean there's so much you have to look at you know this is not it's i don't think it's a result and it's not these are all you know these aren't blanket statements. Sure. That yeah, to everyone, so yeah. I want to temper everything I say with that. But, you know, we're looking at so many other things that that just doesn't get its voice um, or that doesn't get maybe the time and attention that it it requires. Um, you know, we do like kids rooms in a building. So this is the play area. Well, you know, like, is it really a play area or is it just a room with some things that no one uses? That doesn't really yeah. seem <laughs> right. like it's, you know, are we creating in a, you know, a friendly escape room for kids? That sounds like fun. But I think the point is, I know from my experience, I've worked alongside a lot of amazing women. And, uh, you know, it's not like there aren't any. I could run down a list of 20, 30 amazing women that I know locally that are doing an amazing job. But um, such is my nature. I will always advocate advocate, and uh, push for better representation because we're just not there yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that, how does Vancouver compare? And I, we're we're gonna have to go back and talk about kind of your yeah your yeah yeah, yeah. sorry look, we just estate, get right but, into it well yeah and I but I wanna I wanna ask you because you you are really doing you're working globally Junction mm-hmm. and you're seeing a lot of different markets like how does Vancouver rank in in terms of what we're discussing here like diverse voices at the table yeah so I think um I part of the backstory is I'm born and raised in Vancouver North Delta what's up North Delta shout out. <laughs> Very proud to have been born and raised in North Delta. So most of my real estate career, which has been from a very young age, has been locally. I did move to Alberta through my work in Calgary. I uh, Through the marketing and sales of real estate, there's a big snowbird market. So we were doing things in Dominican, Costa Rica, California, working with some really great players on the West Coast of California, San Diego, San Francisco. Uh, I do work in Toronto. Um, I'm looking to hopefully fingers crossed without saying too much, be in London, UK soon. So in my recent years experience, I don't need to go back to like 05 or 04. Let's just talk in the last, you know, five years. Sure. I think that the level of innovation and the level of consideration given to how people are going to live here, uh, what is the programming? What is the amenity programming? How do we activate that in terms of like bringing a property management partner to the table quite early on, not just when the building's done, to really, you know, figure out 
we've got a pool, we've got a concierge, we've got all these bells and whistles. How does it actually come to life? My experience in the last few years is that other markets in, are doing a bit better of a job than mm. us. Um, they're pulling in partnerships, they're pulling in collaborators, developer, you know, if they're not a lifestyle developer and they're moving into urban centers where they're really pushing, you know, service, lifestyle, uh, accommodation from like, you know, there's great retail on the ground, you've got your amenity spaces, just like this whole convenience, right? That's the thing about living in an urban center is that you have access to things and you can get everything you need to get done in a day very quickly. Yeah, my experience has just been like other markets are, in my opinion, outperforming us on the getting creative, being relevant to understanding where the market is and really delivering communities that kind of have a newness to them. And by newness, everything built is new, but the way that it's activated and the level of culture that's already injected into it when it's like ready to be occupied is on a whole other level. And and just to be clear, when you say activated in in that sense, mm. like you mean... So when a building's done and, you know, you get your occupancy, the residents are the first to move in. Right. And then like, you know, hopefully these are all typical practices, right? Like the furniture gets delivered in the amenity room at some point and then the retail starts getting occupied, but the leases or the, those conversations with retailers, the goal is to always have them done by the time the building's done. But a lot of times, as you know, buildings get occupied without that full activation in place. Okay. I what see. I'm seeing in other markets is that those partnerships, like who is the grab and go grocer? Who is the, you know, who are those players and really working out viable deals prior to the real estate being complete. So everybody goes in at once and it's like, this place is ready to yeah, go, it, ready to use. It is. It's like live. The yeah, whole thing is yeah. is ready to go. Okay. I see. And I think the technology part too is like from keyless, you know, keyless access. Um, these are very simple things, but they're not easy to implement. You know, anybody in development, if they were sitting here, they would be like the budgets, the rising costs, like not everything makes it, but we're seeing this newness and this innovation and this, this leaning into like what is modern, what is the new era of living in an urban environment and what is that built environment? How does it accommodate us? Right. Um, I just find, and this is no slag on Vancouver. I love the city. I work here. Other markets are just doing it a bit better. And I think at one time, we were just talking about this before the, we started right. recording. So I will reiterate it that Vancouver was like the beacon or is, I will state to some degree is like, Real estate development, they know what they're doing, the marketing and sales of real estate, right. like what it's a like polish. Exporting, the exporting our talent. Yeah. You know, we have a lot of people that went away for many years and worked internationally and they're back, or you know, whatever that may be. It's it, people that come from the real estate development world are considered, I was gonna say best in class, but I feel like we're losing our ranking on that a little bit because we've been doing was it you that said resting on our laurels or someone else? I think it was that? you. Yeah, I think maybe. it was you. Yeah, I feel like we've... Um, <laughs> I think we all said it. Yeah. Okay, good. So that means it's yeah. not just me. I didn't mean it though. No, uh, me neither. I mean it. I mean it. I'll, I'll be the one. I'll take the shots here. But um, yeah, I, I think we're in a world-class city that doesn't feel so world-class at the moment. I think we have those issues of safety and taking care of our community that we discussed but I'm very keen to see how Vancouver moves into this new era. 
you know, and, and is outperforming urbanism and city creating communities back to where we were. And just like, just to go back to this idea of other markets or other areas creating new, new projects that have amenities that are kind of forward thinking and are actually used. Like in some ways, I think this is a caricature as well, but you know, it's like walking through something in the West End from the 70s mm-hmm. and 80s where you're like, oh, hey, look, it's a racquetball court that no one uses. Mm-hmm. And there's a sauna that hasn't been used for years. And it's like dead space, mm-hmm. which in some ways, I guess you could think about some of the building's amenities as being just cookie cutter. This is how this is what we do. We we have a party room that no one really uses and we have this and we have that. And it's the same over and over again. But there, it sounds like in other markets, they're they're engaging or making those areas more engaging and engaging in the idea of amenities in a different way. Yeah. And I was just going to add to that is, it also seems like, and, and I'd like to get into the process because mm-hmm. it seems like the amenities in a lot of developments are kind of prescribed as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, asking what maybe the community or the buyer needs. Yeah. So I'll give an example of this without just a general uh, lived experience. I think we were late early 2021 looking at a building in Surrey has been had been going through development for, you know, two years because it takes forever to get projects approved <laughs> in this region. And that's a whole I'm sure you've had people. It's pretty much all we, we talk. We, about. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So we won't do that. We won't do that. But um, so by the time we're you know six months out going to market and I just uh I was asked to collaborate with the developer to kind of, you know, they have a very robust, they're a large developer, they have a whole internal team, you know, they definitely not from a lack of talent where I'm brought on, but it was sometimes when you're in the weeds on these things and you've been looking at it for so long, you just don't know. Right. Or can't see your or way can't out see, of Right. Yeah. So what I love is that the question was asked is so everything that we've done, does it still stand today? Because we're seeing people spending all their time at home, people living in multifamily environments that are like going to wherever they can find to like, you know, post up and work there for a bit. Maybe they have a lounge, maybe they don't. So few areas that this is a good example is like there's a spin room, there's a party room, there's a pool, okay? Which all sounds amazing. Well, we're in an era of like Fitness is totally decentralized. It's what's convenient for you. It's about plugging in, playing in, getting your workout in. Definitely not waiting for another 40 people to hop on a bike in a con, you know, before you can do what you need to do. So it's like, okay, so if we all agree that this stuff has been decentralized and it's not so much about us telling people what they do here, but providing a beautiful space where if they want to do yoga, they do yoga. If they want to do one on one training with their trainer, they can. It's there to be flexible and to pivot based on like where they're at and what they need. And we did that across the project. So what we had done six months ago was totally viable, but we're seeing these massive shifts in how people are living and what they need. It's irresponsible not to be responsive to that. Mm. And if you know anything about our business, making shifts and pivots is like not anything that we are like fast at. So. I have tremendous respect and value for the groups of people that were like, listen, we know this is, doesn't seem relevant now. Like it just feels like we're making a mistake and not being authentic to what people need and the manner in which they live. So let's do the work now. And if everyone is smart enough and pulls up their, 
you know, not if everyone is smart, everyone is smart enough to rally around this. And uh, we just took a step back and just went, what needs to change? Why? And pulling data to support that, you know, like we're seeing that this is what people are choosing. This is their preference. Here are the data points to back it up, which is going to other markets to see, right? Like if Vancouver hasn't done anything in a while that might be support our ideation, we look to other markets, you know, whether it's Australia or, you know, LA, Toronto, London, just other places that have urban centers and what are they doing and is it working? Right. And in that case, was it, were those amenities, did you, did you pivot? Like, oh yeah. So there's, did the pool stay? What? No. What so no, the pool did not. So this is, okay, sorry. The pool did not stay. It's expensive. It's only for when you want to do that one thing. Are right. you hanging out at the pool? Also, you know, Surrey is young. We also made the collective decision that this is not about programming real estate for the people who are going to buy. It's about creating exceptional living conditions for people that will be here, whether they're renters, whether they're students, whether they're young adults, whether they're whoever they are mm -hmm. in whatever stage of their life. How do we make this place accommodate, complement, and serve all that from the day to day? So collectively, everyone just kind of agreed. Like we this is what needs to happen. And we we did it. It was awesome. Yeah. And then so, but literally scrap the pool. Scrap the pool because it's it's expensive. It gets expensive through your condo fees. It's a really nice to have, but we swapped that for, yeah. you know, we went for steam sauna, cold plunge, which is like, doesn't everybody want that? Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> like that's yeah. that's real wellness, you know, like that really serves your yeah. your your body, your mind, and your spirit. And you know, games room pool room, fun times, like indoor-outdoor transition from this common, great space that is like fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make it more fun, more like places that people want to be with, whether you're two people, it feels comfortable, or if there's 20 people, it's comfortable. And then just following through here, so so you transition, but it sounds like it wasn't necessarily because there was lackluster sales. No, God, no, no, It had no, nothing no, no, to, no. it literally had, no. it was more like, this we're not sure doing, we're doing the right thing absolutely. at this time. And I also, you know, now I'm kind of like, I have an outside view because I'm not, you know, I'm not representing a specific company. I'm hopefully positively represent the industry, but I have my own perspective. I have to give hats off to in the last year, so we won't go three years, but in the last year and a half, the four or five different groups that I've worked with, every single person at the table wants to do the right thing. So, you know, there's, again, we, that's another conversation that we have, how the Vancouver development industry needs a rebrand. I advocate for that. I would like to champion it. It's comprised of such intelligent people who care mm -hmm. and absolutely want to do the right thing. The, the efforts are, it's very short-sighted to be thinking, we're doing what we're doing in order to get the sale that we need to make the money that we want. I mm -hmm. can tell you right now, those are not the conversations. Mm -hmm. We will get the price because we will create and develop a product that is desirable and that people want to be at. So if we're doing that, you know, then we're kind of guided by the making the right decision and doing right by what's best for the place, the people. Um, and the community that we're going to build. So I'm very proud to say that like, it's not a battle. I've I, so far haven't found it to be an unreasonable debate to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Everybody is very well aware of like the shit we've gone through, where people are at, and to meet and exceed their expectations. How do you go about 
creating like a feedback loop to, to learn what people actually want or need. Yeah, a, yeah. Probably talks to the work. So I'll just quickly touch on the work that yeah. we do at, I do at Junction Co. <laughs> um, so this was really born out of, uh, I've been in real estate sales and marketing for a very long time. I've done project marketing side, creative agency side and developer side. And what we found or what I've always consistently found is that we need to take the time as a core team and it's usually the developer, you know, to really focus in on what is the market position of this project. Like, what are we doing here? Why are we doing it? And why does anyone need to care? And that goes a lot further than the typical brief that every consultant gets, which is, this is for first-time buyer, move up, move down, investor. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, well, you're everything to everyone, which is no. So, uh, and while carving out a niche or carving out what is, what, how is this place distinct and why, um, there's a lot of factors that go into that. One, first and foremost, our front lines are our sales teams getting the feedback. Um, if you had a previous project or, you know, you were just in market engaging with your own sales team internally, which is great. That's the feedback that we need. Um, talking to other salespeople, of course, that have maybe done work in the market that we're looking to uh looking to come to. And that is like, what were the missed opportunities? What did you find was the most consistent thing that people were looking for? Um, I always like to ask the question, if you were to bring something that people didn't know that they wanted, because a lot of times we're very reactive, like people don't want, let's say X, I don't know, people don't want pick something. Pools. Pools. You know, it's like, okay, well, if we introduced a pool that was more of a plunge pool and it was for their, you know, to complement their wellness program and it's, you know, would that land? Yeah. Okay. So you just didn't have the language to like, it's, it's sifting through what people know that they want, what people would pay for, and then also looking to other markets. That's my go-to is that, you know, if we're looking to do something totally one of a kind, which everybody thinks their project is one of a kind. And I will give them the respect to say, yes, it is one of a kind. <laughs> <laughs> Just not maybe the way you think it is. Just not maybe the way you think it is. But we look, I love to look to other places in the world that have done something maybe similar or of the same spirit. And how did it land? Um, what was, you know, that's a phone call. I've, I've picked up the phone and called everywhere around the world just to be like, that matters, you know, like, hey, you did something similar. I'm working on something similar. What are your takeaways? What are your learnings? And bring it back to the boardroom. So mm -hmm. we live in an era of like, you can access information anytime, anywhere. And that applies to all we do too. Like, if I don't have an answer to something, go get it. <laughs> it's there <laughs> for you. Can we, I, I know you, you were licensed at a really young age. Yes. How did like... You must have had, there must have been like, I'm thinking like when you were licensed, Matt was doing a keg stand in Whistler, uh, you know, like, very different. <laughs> and that's why you're where you yeah. are. And I'm sitting no, here. No. <laughs> no. Everyone's journey is different. Everyone's journey is yeah. different. Uh, but how... I was dancing on a speaker somewhere <laughs> yeah, too, yeah, so yeah. let's be fair. Um, can you talk a little bit about like how you got licensed or how you got into the industry at such yeah, a young so, age? Um, I'll try not to go too far back because I feel like that's just like, exposing my age and just it's kind of boring. But I started working in a real estate office when I was in my teens. It was my uncle's office. So uh, it was a brokerage. So I started, I was working in office. So doing 
you know, paging the realtors and, you know, looking at MLS listings and putting them into the board and like, you know, all those things. And then I got into conveyancing and da da da. And uh, I went to another brokerage and and started doing more there. And then I was like, well, there's nothing, I, you know, I don't want to be working in a not really receptionist office type, you know. Uh, it wasn't really where my talents, I thought, were best used. So I was like, all right, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I didn't have the answers. I went to India for a while. I came back and was like, shit, I better do something before I start getting called out for doing nothing. And um, I took my real estate course. I My mom's a realtor. I was around real estate. And I really loved it. And I got licensed. I was 19, 18, 19. And I worked at a brokerage. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's pretty young to feel like you're not doing anything. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, now that I look back and I'm like, oh yeah, God, I was man, so you, hard on myself. Yeah, like, no kidding. You're like, oh God, I'm well, 18 I and didn't a half. Wanna, I, I wasn't keen. <laughs> I was just so grateful to get out of school. Like, and this is like high school, yeah, right? Yeah. I was over high school by the time I was 13. I was like, this is not for me. I am a, you know, citizen of the world. This is like holding me back. So I knew I needed to post do post-grad, right? Like, of course. But I didn't want to. I didn't feel... Comp- I just wanted to work. I just wanted to like... I was like, I'm a working woman. I got to hit these streets. So I felt like the getting licensed was my way to do that. And then I was like, oh boy, it's very hard to deal with people's emotions and be patient. And I have so much respect for the broker community. It is not easy. It's therapist. It's financier. It's trusted advisor, it's expert, it's a lot, there's a lot. And I just, yeah. So I did get licensed. And this was around the time where the internet was just popping. And I had an opportunity for the brokerage that I was working at, Coldwell Banker. It was Windermere Westburn and then went to Coldwell Banker. I approached the managing partner and was like, hey man, like there's this thing called websites. And I know we just got email like eight months ago, but there's a tremendous opportunity for these brokers to brand themselves. Everyone's just the same. Yeah. So now if we have, you know, it's just all direct mailer at that time too. Like they're blanketing, doing their, you know, right. hitting specific neighborhoods, but it's just like a boring realtor. You know, it's like, hey, Tina loves dogs. She's got three palms. Let's get a photo of her and her palm. <laughs> or she plays piano. Like, let's just get some personality. And that is probably what the pivot into the world of marketing. I kind of went, more on the marketing side. And then, uh, yeah, residential went into commercial real estate, same thing, branding, marketing, um, brokerages. And then I got into project marketing and project sales. Yeah. So now the work that I do with the great experience, which to anybody who's in the industry, I will say this, that it is a wonderful industry that will allow you to lean into places of interest that may be outside of the silo that you are currently in. You know, I know people that have moved from development to construction, sales to development. There's a big capacity to kind of lean into what your what parts you like. Mm-hmm. For me, the parts that I really like are understanding the dirt, um, what the business case is for it, how the money needs to work, and then working alongside development, architecture, design, marketing, and sales to really 
focus on what our market positioning is, how the product gets affected by that, what needs to feed into it, how we position it in the market, the language we use, all in an effort to have positive impact in the community, get people interested in us and want to invest. So, yeah. And that, so you literally just uh, described Junction Co., right? That's That's, That's what you do. That's the work that I love to do is project positioning, working through the concepting, working with the consultants and getting it to a place where the sales team has something amazing to sell. I'm not responsible for sales. I love working with sales partners, whether that's a realtor group, a project marketing firm, in-house sales team. I'm very supportive. I love working with them, but I, I'm not responsible for sales. I'm really focused on product, place, and who are the people that we're trying to engage. Are, are any two days at Junction the same or... What what does a typical day look like for you? Um, I don't know. I, I don't wouldn't say day is typical. I think to be honest with you, my effort in moving towards consulting was to get away from typical. I have many years of like the days are the same, the meetings may be slightly different, but the battle is the battle. And as I've gotten older and hopefully wiser, my priority now is to be organized in my day, optimized, efficient. I can tell you there's so many inefficiencies in like this meeting culture world. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, my my typical day for me is I start my day listening to podcasts after I'm done the meditation portion of the morning. And it's really just whether I'm focusing on some content for Junction or I'm researching for a client or I'm putting together a positioning package with the project team. It's It's a lot of different different hats, but I love the diversity of the work that we do. And I don't want to be doing the same thing every day. So I'm, I'm just wondering, like, just thinking through like the thinking of the Surrey example you used, and it sounds like you, you came in on that project a little later than you, you often do, where they were like, okay, we've, something's wrong here. We have to sort this out. I, I just want to say too, it's I don't think it was, uh, hey, something's wrong, but it was, we don't have the resources. This needs to come to market. We're running out of time. We need a little time and attention on it. So let's, let's, right. yeah, let's bring, do that. Bring somebody yeah. in. Okay. So, but as a consultant in a typical role, mm-hmm. say in whatever, choose a market. Like, I'm curious to hear, how do you, you look at that community? Mm-hmm. Do you dig down on, on kind of who lives here? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so let's like, use like, Toronto as an example. Yeah. Like, right? and how I, do you get yeah, through? And then also just as a final thing, sure. how do you get to, who is this for? What should it look like? How is this going to be the best experience? But also marrying that, what do they think they want? What do we think they need mm-hmm. type thing? But anyway, I'll, I'll leave it to you. So I'll use a different market just because it's sure. easier to place us somewhere unknown yeah. or people aren't on the day-to-day out there. I will speak from my perspective first and foremost is like, I love cities. I travel a lot. I traveled a lot Whatever. It was all legal. But I traveled a lot during COVID. <laughs> I did. I went to cities. I wasn't sure which direction you're going there. <laughs> COVID. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I did 2020, 2021, 2022. I spent um, a period of time in different cities. I wanted to see how things, like what's happening here. Like how are how are the streets responding? Which retailers are open? What are people's safe places? So going to a different market. First and foremost is like walk, right? You walk the area. So uh, when I speak to my own perspective, I love cities. 
there is something inherent here, right? Like I, I don't know that everybody would have the same perspective that I do, but when I go to a city, I'm looking to see, oh, someone lives here. Okay, cool. So if you live here, where do they go for this? Where do they go for that? What's the go-to spot? Oh, everybody seems to like this one, you know, Spanish tapas place. Like, wow, you can really see this is like a reflection of the community. What do? And then you start talking to people. And I love to have those conversations. It's not a waste of time for me. You know, it's like if I'm spending all my time in the boardroom and no time on the street, my recommendations are like empty, right? right. You're, you're just, you have no clue. So spending time on the ground, walking around, talking to people, I usually always reach out to someone from a municipal factor. And luckily there's like, you have contacts now that someone or other within your sphere can make the right introductions. I like to talk to people who are on the social housing side, people that are on design panel, you know, what's missing, what's your challenge, what's going on, talking to the business owners, and then just doing research. Like, again, there's so much research on, mm -hmm. available on the internet. You want to know what's happening in a certain community, what the broader trends are, you know, what are the goals for Toronto as a city? How is anything that we do going to feed up to those goals? And then looking at, again, we have so much, you know, Coldwell Banker, um, Colliers, Oxford, uh, Gensler, all of these amazing data sets that provide our, us with so much information in terms of what is resonating in the office environment? What compels someone to go back to work? What makes a like an office lease attractable to a company? What do people? What are people gravitating towards uh, on the residential side, on the retail side, in their home? What are they looking for? USB ports in the home, like a must, kind of. Now it is, you know. So there's data. There's lived experience. There's your own perspective. There's intuition, mm -hmm. which like you can't discount that. And then it's about packaging it up in a manner that aligns with the developer's brand so that they can say these things and present these things in their own voice and tailor the product accordingly. So there's a lot. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is just your own, my own perspective. You know, I I love cities, I love places, and I'm able to go, huh, seems like they're kind of missing X, Y, Z. I wonder if there's an opportunity there, you know, and then proving it out. You can have all the opinions in the world, but if you can't back it with some data or some research, then it's just another personal opinion. And are you finding in the projects you're working on in different, you know, different cities, different areas of cities, are these projects actually... Do they look way different by the end? Not necessarily by what you're doing, but but to fit the community? Or are you like, okay, that actually is a, when you leave a project, are you like, that really works for that area of Toronto? Just, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, just generally speaking, you know, I would say on behalf, I think a lot of us feel this way. Like there's honestly no greater feeling than driving buy something that you're like, oh my God, we were like, I remember when we were in the boardroom and we we're looking at these plans and so-and-so wanted to do this, but we did this like, wow, look at it now. Equally, to be honest, there are those times where you're like, shit, like, oh man, you know what? We should have done X, Y, Z when we knew we could and we didn't. And you can kind of see it as an expression of the built product. Um, but more times than not, it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, we did yeah. that. But yeah, yeah. I had hey, what a... was your question again? I think I just went off right off. No, I think it was about the process. Yeah, so like the... I, I will say this too. Um, you know, sometimes I say the work that I'm doing at Junction is also a, some risk mitigation there. Right. A lot of the work I'm doing now is split between 
this project isn't going to come to market in two years and we're very early days in the development of it, which like it's the starting point of like, what does the architecture need to look like? What is the design? What is the look and feel and why, right? What's the product mix? The second scope that I'm finding now a lot more is developers similar to the Surrey example, right? Like, hey, we're going to come to market. We're, We're about six to eight months out. Just want to have a second set of eyes. And again, you know, like going in and telling someone where their vulnerable points are isn't necessarily easy, but I think it's a lot easier to deliver as someone who is advocating, but not so much in the weeds on it. Right. So a lot of this, half the scope is new stuff that is like years out. Half the stuff is like, we're coming to market. We just need assurance. Is there, are we on point? Do you think that we have weaknesses? Are we vulnerable? And then, you know, working towards getting them to a place where they're confident in what they're bringing to market. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the Lower Mainland? Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. The one thing that it, this just makes me think of a tweet I saw this morning by Richard Whitstock, who mm-hmm at Domus Homes, right? And he, he just had the feedback from one of his rental projects, mm-hmm. the the staff. And it was like one beds, two beds, three beds. How many people have come in to inquire over the past week? Mm-hmm. What's the status of how many were rented up? And one thing that struck me, and I think that was the point of his tweet. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he shared the information. And it's like, we've had people on the show and you hear when people talk about housing, oh, there's not family housing. We need more mm. family homes, right? Which is like a common idea in Vancouver. And and undoubtedly it's true. But I, what I noticed was almost all of the inquiries were for one beds. Mm. It dropped dramatically for two beds and it was zero for the three beds. So it just seems like it's one of these, and I don't even know why I'm bringing this up, but it's more to the point where figuring out what the community actually needs mm-hmm. and what you think it needs are, it's sometimes at loggerheads and it's probably very hard to thread that needle. And that's kind of exactly what you do, right? Yeah, I, I think too, it's such a great, ex- I'm sure his point of that, uh, what I'm hearing is like, if we didn't have this feedback, if we didn't look at the data, if we didn't measure our efforts and really look at what people are gravitating towards, then we wouldn't have this foresight, right? Right. We wouldn't have this thought. We wouldn't have this uh, intel, if you will. 
I think it's super important. I think there's also this, like, as you know, we move through trends. We move through like a different way of living. Five, ten, well, eight years ago, it's like a three-bedroom downtown was on everyone's mind. They mm-hmm. want that because mm-hmm. we were so focused on the downsizer or someone who's living there. You know, they they want to move into the city, but it's by choice. It's not by necessity. And so if it's a choice, they want space. And now we're seeing like, we have so many students. There's so much immigration. I mean, affordability is like, I'm sure many of those one bedrooms will be occupied by two or three people, mm-hmm. but it's affordability factor. So mm-hmm. if the affordability was there, would they not choose a two bedroom? You know, it's yeah. like, is it price, right. product, product, price? Like at some point they will, we will get back to a place where you'll need two bedrooms or you'll, you know, those will be desirable, but we have real estate that lasts so long where the decisions are made during a specific time. It's like, how does the legacy part of this roll into it, mm. right? Because I mean, for the developer, I mean, the developer is renting, so that's part of their portfolio for many, many years. But when you got to meet your financial requirements and no one's buying three bedrooms and 20% of your building is three bedrooms, you're like, like, what am I doing here? Yeah. This isn't going to yeah, work, yeah. you know? But I believe that people want three bedrooms. It's just affordability. Right. I want to get to the neighborhoods and sub areas that you're excited about. Yeah. Someone who, but first I, I kind of want to go back because I've been thinking about it since the beginning of the conversation about Vancouver kind of losing its shine a bit. Mm. What do you think? Needs oh God, to, it hurts my heart to say that. So I want to go on. I want to make well, sure I, I, I yeah. make sure I express that. It, well, I think a, a lot of people feel thing. that way. In a, in, I, I think, so. I think so. Right. I think we saw that in, in the last municipal election to some extent. Our lowest uh, turnout. Well, yeah, but a, a sweep maybe yeah, for council. Yeah, so yeah. I, I guess, I guess my my question is, what do you think has to happen in Vancouver? Is it does it start at 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 the buildings we're building, or does it start at the municipal level, or is it a combination of everything? Like, what what can Vancouver do to get its shine back, in your opinion, or what does it need? To- yeah, I think that's a layered question. I don't think any one group is responsible for all of it. Right. Um, all I can speak to is where I know what we do can help facilitate a shift. First and foremost is the the city needs to feel safe. I know that's Ken Sims, you know, number one, our mayor. Do we say mayor Ken Sim now? We do. He just seems like such an approachable guy. That's like, (laughs) what's up, Ken? Yeah, that's first and foremost. The city needs to, has a lot of heavy lifting to do here. Sure. For sure. It is... I live in Chinatown. I'm super. Pr- I lived in Yale Town for many years. I actually moved to Chinatown to get more soul, and boy, did we get it! But it's uh, it's <laughs> these are really good people. Bad things happen to good people, and uh, you know, it needs to change. So first and foremost, you know, that is the city needs to do what it needs to do, and it needs to take some big, big steps. What has been done is not working. And it needs to change. So we all know that, right? I think that Vancouver, I was saying this to someone else. I literally have a whole roll of photos on my phone that are like, this could be made better. The dead zones of our city. When I think about, actually, let me put this to you. What to you is the culture of Vancouver? Yeah, Matt. No, I don't. I can't. (laughs) I've never answered a question on this show before. I, I only ask the our, our brains shut down when yeah. somebody puts it on us. So that's what is the uh, that's a, no, but it is truly a hard question, right? It is. It is a hard the, question, and that's where I think we're lacking. Yeah, is that we don't have a sense, a clear sense. I think 15 years ago, when we were like rallying around greenest city in the world, 
bike lanes were all very what like about no fun city. Did that stick around? <laughs> no it's still a city. thing, I think. Yeah. Beautiful and boring. I think the uh, there's a lot of things we've kind of talked about over the years that kind of describe Vancouver, I think, sometimes. But but it is I'm true. Not, like it was tricky. it was even ten years ago, it felt like an exciting place mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. It felt like a future city too, in a lot of yeah. like a very Yeah. It felt when I think back to 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. it felt like it was always sunny. Yeah. Like, and you were like, man, I'm excited to okay, be here. Okay, but the Olympics were like the best time ever. Yeah. I mean, that was 12 years ago or 13 years ago now, yeah. which seems wild. But like, even I was walking around the city, like, holy shit, it's a fun place. Like, I can't yeah. believe it. And I will also say, despite the really bad things that were happening over COVID, the manner in which we were able to engage with nature, our connection to nature, being able to, if we're cooped up inside, we have somewhere to go. That is what Vancouver has always been great at, Mm -hmm. right? We know that we are like a nature outside, almost sometimes to like, okay, enough with the hiking already, but we get it. But the street activation, there's like, you can eat out on a patio and really rallying to support our local restaurants. And like, I haven't felt that type of real community in a long time. Mm. Maybe it might've been the first, to be honest Mm. with you in this city, and it, it felt good, you know, like we're supporting our local retailers, we're buying local, we're wanting to make sure like, I hope these stores can open up again. I hope the patio stay. I hope, you know, like it's just um, through chaos, uncertainty and fear, the manner in which people stepped up to come together is a really beautiful thing. And I think those are measures in which culture is fostered and should be like leaned into more mm. to grow on that. So, and what do you think? Cause I've been thinking about this lately uh, because I don't think we ever actually talked about this on the show, but we were in Colombia over the holidays in, in Cartagena and, and Oh, it's beautiful. So, I heard. so yeah, it's beautiful and it's kind of chaotic on the street. It, like you, you wouldn't, you'd never have AirPods in, mm-hmm. right? No one wears AirPods because you'd get hit by a car or whatever. It's just too, you have to be like, watching where you're yeah, going. Yeah, you gotta be... Yeah, you're not like staring off in the space. Like when I walk my dog here, I walk by people. I'm not... I'm like, oh, I didn't even notice, notice that person. Like, I don't even... I didn't, definitely didn't say hello. There, everybody's yelling and talking and and you're like, wow, this is like in a really alive culture. And it, at least for me, made me think, oh man, all these Brazilians or mm-hmm. all these people that are in Vancouver that go, oh my God, it's so quiet and lonely and boring. And you're like, no, it isn't. But then you go... Somewhere that is activated. Yeah, yeah, and you're like, wow. So what is it? Is it, I, I guess it's a very hard question to say what, what, but does that have to do with design? Does it have to do with, like, I don't know, because you're saying out of COVID came sort of something that s- resembles that, right? Yeah. Like people actually engaging with each other and supporting local business and doing things that is not necessarily a traditionally a Vancouver thing yeah, to necessarily yeah, yeah. do. Like, I, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. No, I'm totally... I I don't have the answer to why we're this way. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. I know that there's been articles written about it. It's but it's like, amazing because there's people from all over the world that come here too, right? It's oh, not yeah. like, oh, it's a specifically, you know, from these, like, whatever, this historical tradition. It's just, you know what I mean? Like, we're a pretty diverse place. Yeah, we're so... Di- I mean, when walking around downtown, I'm always... It's like everybody that walks, I will never walk with AirPods on because I'm just wait, like the zombies are behind me. I got to stay ready. I got to stay alert. <laughs> it's just the condition that I've been raised with is yeah. like, 
eyes are out, right? <laughs> but I do, it's a tricky thing, but I don't think, you know, it's like sometimes when people are like, oh, it's so comp, it's just so complicated. Mm-hmm. Like you almost can't even talk about it because it's so complicated. Mm-hmm. This ain't complicated. You know, this is like, how do we activate and give reason for people to come? I'm just using the city center as an example, which will also relay into our outer market conversation. But I just look at the place and I also live here. I live downtown. I'm in the city. So this is what I see. And uh, where I feel like we could step up and do our part, right? Again, it's not just on the development committee or the development industry to do this, but I think we have ways in which before we come to a community with an actual project, we talk about community engagement you know, for some that's sponsoring a soccer team and for some that's, you know, what, whatever that looks like and it's all really good work. But if we want to create an environment of being socially active, then let's think outside the box and like activate spaces in the communities that we're going to, like turn their dead zones around, right? So if you're coming to like Alberni or, or somewhere in the West End, what is happening around the West End which are just missed opportunities for people to come together in a meaningful way? Denman. And there you go, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, look at all the retail on Denman. It's a place to die. As oh, a, that makes me so no, sad. No, I mean, as a business. Like yeah. we've often joked, like Denman well, seems like a place to go where you're you're it's, you're dead in the water. On yeah. The it's, it's more appealing these days, I think, to be further east in the West End, more connected to other areas. But I think it's it's part of that, right? I mean, it's like, I, I look at Denman. Although I, I drove down there the, the other day. I haven't I been down them. In but there have been recently. moments. And I think it's maybe the commercial rents or whatever. Then you can't, there's not a lot of smaller restaurants that can take on those spaces, perhaps. I'm, I'm not sure. But it's... Uh, well, smaller spaces. So yeah. if we talk about that from like an F&B retail programming, which influences the work that we do, smaller restaurant is easier to manage, right? The smaller space is easier to pay a lease on. If it's a great restaurant, we have, I mean, not just if it's a great, a great partner, that business is now omni-channel. We know this. We've learned this, right? The restaurant business is not about the bodies that are coming in to sit at the table and turning tables. It's about how do I push out the to-go food? Right. How do I create a window for people to grab and go? How do I, like, they have had to adjust mm-hmm. their model, like the small one, like the Denman's, True. right? Like, where does the Uber Eats pull up? Or mm-hmm. how do they grab it? These are the things that we talk about now when we're looking at mixed-use real estate is like, where's the Uber coming up? Where's the bike guy getting the food? Can you get like push food out of a window? Can you, right. you know, like still maximize seating but not be reliant on that as a support to these businesses? We're aware that your business is operating. You may be pushing product. You may be, you know, whatever that looks like, but having that consideration for the physical space now in early days, knowing that this is now what they need from everything we've learned, that helps. But I'm really big on activating, creating moments for people to come together in a city or in a city core or wherever it is that you're looking to develop and just like doing something meaningful that is fun Mm. and brings people together and shows an example, like really show and practice what people will do when they're when there's an environment created for them to like spend time, hang out, sit on a bench. We've got a lot of like picnic tables up now, like in certain areas with like concrete planters that have no plants in them. And a ping pong table. And a concrete ping pong table. Nobody's doing anything here. This is actually scary. You know? (laughs) (laughs) So that helps culture. 
there are, I think my concern, and I don't want to just focus on like what the city's not, what's not great about the city because I'm, uh, we're all very grateful to live here. So keeping that in mind, but I worry like every generation does like the really great talent leaving because they can't, they just can't make it work here. Mm, yeah. And, and, and part of that really great talent is people in the arts, people in music, people in, you know, whatever they're, they're cultural, they're in the culture, they're in arts and culture weaving them, bringing them into the fold of what we do, I think is a really great opportunity because sometimes a developer isn't a culture maker. Mm. And and when they try to be, when they're not, it just doesn't work. And why do all that heavy lifting on your own? You know? So I think there's we're in an era of collabs, right? Every luxury brand everywhere is like collabing. Collaborations mm. are are huge. So if there's a cultural partner that you need at the table in order to like make this what it really needs to be to get people excited, then let's do it. You know, I'm doing it in other markets, mm. but there's lots to do. But I think if we can kind of own our part in it, I'm uh, definitely always advocating for that. Okay. So areas in the lower mainland you're excited about? Yeah. So question, what makes, why is it a sub market? It doesn't have to be a sub market. It it can be so. I, I'm I'm thinking like regionally, Brentwood, Burnaby, so, North Burnaby. So the reason why I ask if it why it's a sub market is if, as you know, you're in real estate. Yeah. When the outer markets are outperforming what you consider to be the center point, are they no longer just their own market? Are they not? They are. Are they not just their own market? Like downtown was, you know, Vancouver's priced X. Everywhere around that is slightly less based on its proximity to Vancouver. But if people are choosing to, they don't even need to look at Vancouver mm-hmm. and they're looking at Surrey or Brentwood, then, and those prices are outperforming Vancouver in many instances. Yeah. So those are no lot, those are like their own markets, right? Oh, I would even con- include downtown in, as a sub market. So- Submarket. Oh, I see. Okay. I'm not sorry. I'm not ranking them. I'm I'm saying like specific, like okay. specific okay. markets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought it no, was like no, Vancouver is no. the market and then everyone is a sub. Oh, no. We've been criticized as being Vancouver centric on this program before. <laughs> <laughs> and we are not. Okay. So, uh, uh, oh, we kind of are. <laughs> yeah. yeah you're, just, yeah, man. You, yeah. We, if you operate I think we got in the city, we got, but I don't mean sub like. No, in like, no, you're. But I, I'm. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. I'm being specific. <laughs> <We> want, <laughs> what subpar markets? Yeah, Vancouver? exactly. I'm like, Name five subpar it, markets. What makes it a sub That's a, that, that would have been a better, well, I was ready. more interesting. I was ready. <laughs> <laughs> you got five. But it is it is interesting. Just as a, um, we've been kind of talking about this lately. How Vancouver is not the center anymore, and mm-hmm. how Surrey and yeah. different markets operate. Or like, yeah, exactly. But the shift to Burnaby as being the center potentially. But now it seems even like I'm not even sure if that's still a thing. It's I think more... for the average person that is looking at real estate, they are not looking at the market regionally as we do. We look at lower mainland, greater Vancouver. You know, we know the price per square foot, Port Moody, Brentwood, Surrey, Richmond, North Vancouver, West Side, downtown, like it's, as it's much as we're a city of real estate sport, like <laughs> yeah. it's a sport here. Yeah. That level of looking at a market is not practical for right. an everyday person, right? So you're asking me which markets I am the most excited about? 
right? Or yeah. I would invest in, or and, yeah, and it would be yeah, and larger. So I, when I say that, I mean so maybe you're excited about Surrey or North Burnaby or Coquitlam, yeah, or a specific okay, so SkyTrain hub. You're excited about where you all think- SkyTrain hubs. I'm excited about because that's that's where it's at. Right. I will say putting my old school broker hat on first and foremost because you have such a uh, wide audience. Finding out what matters to you as an investor or purchaser is the most important, right? Like what areas are you personally drawn to? It doesn't matter which is the highest trading or the most desirable from our perspective. It's like, where do you want to put your money? What's important to you? What do you care about? So that could be, that's the first thing, as you know, as trusted advisors. I'm the most excited about Surrey. Totally. Most of my real estate investments have been, unless they're out of province, my in province has all been in the city of Vancouver. I recently made an investment on a project I got to work on because I sold myself on it. It's that good. But I am so, I just think Surrey is, I really appreciate their OCP, their official community plan. I think that it takes into consideration the existing culture of Surrey, which is often not seen or understood, but for people who participate in it, it's thriving. I really appreciate the infrastructure, you know, moving, getting the train down in Langley, rapid transit. These are big moves. And I think it's one of those places where there's, it's probably the most diverse. I love that about it. And yeah, I I just, um, I'm seeing, you know, when every big player is moving to a specific area, like Burquitlam is the same, Brentwood, it's exciting because you know there's going to be so much there. And I feel like for people that are live south of the, is it south of the river? Yeah, south of the river, right? They're always feeling like in order to get something, they have to come into the city or they have to go into a different community. And I feel like Surrey just wants to be Surrey. And there's, it's a great moment in time for that. Like get an Uber with your friends and go out somewhere great in Surrey. You know, like get dressed up, getting dressed up and going out doesn't need to be coming to Vancouver. It's, you know, they want to stay in Surrey too, which is great. So that's where I put my money. <laughs> I'm I'm excited about it. I think it's a, it's going to be massively transformational and it's not pie in the sky. It's very real and the players are there and it's only going to get better. Yeah. And do you have a an area, like a region in the province that you're excited about, like outside of the Lower Mainland? Hmm. Um, Victoria. Are the, I'll say the island, mostly on the Victoria side. I had, when I was working with Aragon, there was quite a substantial portfolio acquired on the island. And it's a really cool place. I don't, I haven't spent a ton of time other, like as a kid growing up, I didn't go there a ton, but going now and looking at it through the lens of what I do, which is like walk around, talk to people, see what's happening. There's some really beautiful, thoughtful development happening out there. And as we saw people, I know at least 15, 20 people that moved from Vancouver to the island in the last five years. Sure. So it's, it's, I feel like everybody knows 15 people yeah. that have moved to the island. Yeah. In the last five and and years. you know, it's a lifestyle choice. I think that when you're dealing with someone who is, their value system is being guided by how they want to live. It's not a it's not necessity or compromise. It's like I am choosing this environment. I'm choosing to live in this place because it's best for me, my family, you know, whatever it may be. 
it's great to be able to match the living environment to that type of energy because mm. that's it's exciting. Is there one trend you can see on the horizon or happening right now in development multifamily uh, that you're most excited about? Technology. Technology, yeah, like in, and, and integrated service. into the... Yes, technology as a service. So shedding some light in the last three years, I'll use the luxury real estate as the example, but it's not the reason, okay? But branded luxury moved the most. Her people were choosing to live in environments that were, let's say it's the Fairmont or the Ritz or the one of those branded mm-hmm. lifestyle entities with the real estate development. So they're still residences, they're purchasing a condo, but they're choosing to live in the branded one. Why? Access to amenities. It's about the space, but it's more about the service. So I can get through my whatever Four Seasons resident app. I have concierge. I have, I can get someone to pick up my kids to take them to piano. I can, you know, use the space, use the amenity room for this when I'm recording a podcast. I can, all the things that you need to do. Convenience is the number one driver. And we are able to provide convenience by way of technology. Interesting. So technology as a service. Yeah. And space as a service. So it's not so much about the what the room does, if I'm using it as that at the four walls. Mm-hmm. It's about accessing what you need within those four walls, right? Like your amenity is not just about the built amenity. It's about having concierge that will come up and drop off, you know, X, Y, Z, about having a driver on hand, about having the groceries delivered to you in a place that is, you know, easily accessible or delivered in your suite or, you know, booking, having so much, like your mm-hmm. nails or your hair are being done in the building and being able to access how to do that. And technology from a performance, building performance standpoint. Again, I'm, the work that I'm doing in the States, like technology is just as important player as the concrete pouring or you know, it's, it's, yeah. and I haven't seen that here to that level. A lot of times the conversation is, well, when we're early development, we have to make sure that the building can accommodate technology, uh-huh. but we don't know what it's going to be in three years. It moves so fast. Right? right. Right. But that's like, okay, so you're wiring to have internet access. Like <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean when we're not considering it but we're going to make sure that it can fit in after if we don't even know what the technology yeah. is that's being but you, used and, today. But technology as a service is, is clearly like a cultural shift, yeah. right? The way that people are living is Well, look how we shop in now. Relation, right. how, how quickly we shopped. I right. was, I'm a brick and mortar. I'm, I'm a sucker to be sold. I love sales so much that like I put myself in the lion's den as much as yeah. possible to be like, <laughs> sell me, sell to me. But all my essentials are done online. They're delivered. They're because I just don't have the time. I yeah. don't want to do that. I yeah. just want it. I want it to be convenient and I want access. Right. Interesting. So it's not so much about, you know, like seeing those outdated TV where you go through a townhome and it's like, oh, that was before everybody had a 65 inch TV, like yeah. the TV space that it's more about kind of a cultural shift and how. That's being incorporated into development. Yeah. And I think also you bring on a good thing, and which we've been talking about in the boardroom for a while. So again, kudos to everybody. People don't want to be told what to do. 
right? If there's one thing you know for sure, I think one of your one of the things is like a belief system that's been rocked mm-hmm. in the last three years or whatever. If there's one thing that we know for sure collectively is that you know you take stock of your life. You know what works for you. You know what didn't work for you. You cut out the things that weren't serving you as much because you had time to think about like heart and soul of life, Mm -hmm. right? Boundaries, whatever it may be. And part of that was everybody took serious stock of how their environment serves them, right? How How does this accommodate my family? How does this accommodate me needing to work and then doing my workout and then all those things, right? So if there's one thing for sure, that we know coming out of this is how I want to live and the way that my space accommodates me. We did a deep dive on that, everybody. (laughs) So as a market to not respond to that respectfully, you know, to default back to the life you always dreamed of, the life you want to live, you know, one to three bedrooms starting at, it's like you're only ever talking to the people that are going to buy the real estate in that moment where, you know, I think, people are just getting used to having a dream again. They had to put their dreams on hold. Mm, Yeah, right. So maybe it's more about talking about it in a way that's like, we're striving for community. We want you to feel safe. We believe this is a reflection of everything that we, you know, like the things that we know people want because we want them. And this is an expression of that. You know, it just feels like it's a little more appropriate Mm. and of the time. But I am the most excited about technology because it's an unknown, pretty much. Like even just finding a property manager that can like, you know, work with all these different ways of like connecting with our customer and our residents and using that technology and not being like, you know, totally dated. Yeah, there's there's a lot of opportunities to not exceed where people are at, just to meet people where they're at. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll leave it there. That's a, a great place to to stop. Five wire, five quick questions, okay. lighthearted to end the show. Uh, we've kept you now for more than an hour, oh, wow. uh, significantly more That's than an me. hour. It's me. It's all me. I talked to my. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's been it's been great. Flew by. So, question number one is one book that you'd recommend for our listeners. Uh, I was going to say Urban Feminist, Leslie Kern. Yeah, I'm gonna. That's a great read, and it's not just for women. So boys, buck up and have have a read. It's a really fascinating historical and relevant view of urbanism. Fantastic. I, I, I your description earlier. I think it sounds really great. Um, in the last few years, what is one new habit, belief, or behavior that has most improved your life? You oh, kind of yeah, spoke kinda, to this, but okay, so couple things, not feeling burdened by imposter syndrome, which is a different podcast all on its own, I'm sure. <laughs> Our imposter syndrome podcast. Yeah. Imposter, Come join us next week. <laughs> imposter syndrome is not always like, I don't feel like I belong. It, it can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. So that's a real thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I learned that that is a belief that is bullshit. Yeah. And um, false emotions appearing real, fear, right? Uh, and also the belief that boundaries are a good thing and should not be considered as like hardlining people. You know, I think this this relays into the real estate talk of like, we know what we want out of our space. I think that just having an opportunity the first time in my adult life of really 
taking stock of life and like what works, what doesn't. And my belief is that I won't, I won't do it if I don't care. If I'm not engaged, like mind, body, and spirit, I'm not doing it. I don't, I feel like feeling obligated to do anything. I think that was maybe like one thing I was most relieved about when everything got kind of shut down and were put on pause was like, you mean I'm not obligated to go anywhere? Like I don't have to go to that networking thing or I don't have to do this. I think just the, just no obligations, just be yourself, live your life, be authentic. You know, sometimes the noise of what we think we should be doing and who we think we should be or how we want people to perceive us just, it's like, can steer you wrong. So having that time and that pandemic time to be like, damn, who am I? What do I want? <laughs> Great one. What have you been binge watching lately? Okay. Or a movie recommendation? Formula One. Oh, oh the new one. Five. Okay, so that is the product. Do you guys watch that? I've I've haven't got through the whole thing, but I started. Okay, so Formula One cracks me up because it's so much production and so much money. For I still don't know what I want to. I want to. I want a map on how the money moves <laughs> through Formula One. But I am a huge Lewis Hamilton fan. He is a stand-up guy. I love the way he shares his short story perspective and um, he's a class act. But I love that show for the drama. It's like I could watch The Real Housewives yeah, or I could watch uh, Formula One, Drive to Survive. And um, right now I'm in Formula One. This is so I, I saw a headline where Netflix is not moving into the area of actual sports they're moving into storytelling around sports oh yeah which makes total sense and showtime right? i don't know like if you watch the showtime documentaries they do amazing sports docs and for me i want the story like yeah. okay you know you got 60 points okay but like i like the drama yeah. i'm here for <laughs> but the formula one these guys are petty like so petty it is just i, I don't understand why it's so elite and so why it's such this like luxury, I just don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. It's the same people. It's the same drivers moving around, but the production value is unreal. And then I would also give special shout out to another series that I just watched called The Romantics on Netflix. And it's a docuseries on Indian cinema, which for people who grew up on Indian TV and cinema, it is like, massively part of our culture and way bigger than Hollywood. Yeah. Oh, the romantics. The romantics. Nice. I highly recommend it. It's so, it just like stands by, you know, when you think of Indian movies, it's like singing, dancing, bright colors. And like, you know, they just break out into spontaneous dance. It's like, yeah. And they, they explain <laughs> the cultural reasoning, why we love that so much. And um, yeah, it was good. Well, maybe this is a good segue uh, to favorite band or music. Hip hop is number one. I listen to all kinds of music. Yeah. Grew, grew up on all different kinds, but my since a kid, hip hop is life. And I'll always go with Nas. Latest yeah. album, King's Disease 3, stellar. All right. And then right. Prince. I mean, Prince is everything, but. Awesome. <laughs> Last. <laughs> Huge Prince fan myself. Last but not least, something you have purchased for under $1,500 that has changed your life or at least improved it. Evo membership. Oh, yeah. I got rid That's of my car. One. Really? Wild. Evo I've been driving is... since I've been 14. 
all electric, right? So are they electric yeah, they're or hybrid? All, uh, or? What are they Anyways. called? A Prius? They're all Prius. Which I love. Right. Yeah, I, I'm in between vehicles and I thought I'd just try it out. And I didn't, I was having anxiety attacks because yeah, I've only say. ever driven. But mostly everything I do is in the city. And I love the Evo. Like never huh. pay for parking. Yeah. They're so accessible. Like just to even motor around downtown, like going from yeah. one place to, you know, if it's like go to a meeting, go to the gym, go to another meeting, go home. It's like that could be $30 in parking. We live very close and I, and evils are everywhere. So it's super easy I to get one. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I think it's, and it's something kind of communal, you know, like the shared experience. I don't know how long it'll last. Again, trust me, like I've been, I'm a driver, but. Well, yeah, it's growing very up different. in North Delta. Oh, yeah. Was, this is. I was trust. I was driving at 14. I was going to say, that's car country. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, when you turn 16, it was like, yeah, I don't want no cake. Just take me to the, you know, the. Yeah, everybody get gets their license. license and, yeah. yeah. But that has changed my life. That's a game changer. And I will add to that, that I, uh, as a personal exercise, was looking to get a better connection with my city because I love it, but I'm also frustrated and I, you know, can get caught on ways that it's not the, yeah could be better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was just not getting enough connection with people, like everyday connection, walking down the street, saying hi to somebody, you know. And by the way, y'all, we need to be way nicer. There's just way too many people that don't say hello to one another. And then you go to other places in the world, you're like, oh my God, they're so nice. I'm shocked. It's like, no, you're shocked because we don't do that enough with each other. So please be kind and say hello. But by walking more, I'm seeing people, I'm feeling connected. I feel like I need to understand my own city a bit better. It has not been an inconvenience, but much more benefit than a detriment and I'm enjoying it. So that 15 or $20 membership yeah. has changed my life. Oh, right on. That's a great answer. Well, how, how can people find out more about Junction Collective and about you, Amit? Yeah. So thank you for that. Junction-co.com is the website. Uh, just It's a great site, by oh, the way. I love you. it. It's, it's super unique and it's uh Visually, it's a it's a very oh, cool thank site, you so, much. so worth checking out. Thank you, I appreciate that. It's wild when it's your own thing, you know. I've done a million of these for other people, or at least you know, getting people to express yourself, share your thoughts, and then it's like ah, when it's yourself. But <laughs> so I thank you for that, and I appreciate the feedback. Uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, Junction Co underscore quote. I don't even know, but go to the website. It's all there. <laughs> and um, check us out on LinkedIn. And um, I'd love to, anyone challenging any of my thoughts or ideas, I love dialogue and uh, welcome the conversation. And also look forward to seeing more diversity and women on the show. So, so exciting. I'm going to give you five to 10 names before I leave. Fantastic. And anybody looking to challenge our ideas, give us a week to recover. <laughs> <laughs> We've been thoroughly beat up here. <laughs> we're, we're licking our wounds for the next... Uh, uh, no, <laughs> and I also want to say I really appreciate what you guys are doing here facilitating these conversations. It's awesome and uh, much, much, much needed. Appreciate it. Well, thanks again yeah, for taking the time. So much. It was fantastic. You. Pleasure. Pleasure. 
So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Amit Johal, principal at Junction Co. Really love that conversation with Amit. Fantastic having her down in studio. You know, Michael Ferreira highly recommended we have Amit on the program. It She did not disappoint. No. Um, and I wouldn't expect her to. And Michael's always got great referrals and uh, she's just an awesome person. Well, you know what? I feel like she's, there's so many things to like, she's whip smart. She's been in the business forever and she's not afraid to call things the way she sees it. And yep. we often say that about people, but Amit is maybe in terms of calling it the way you see it, she ranks high yeah, on the list. Unapologetically. And I think the the other thing about her, which is so good is, is what a, a force in the development community, because these are the perspectives that we actually need. And, and, Smart developers are are catching on to that, and uh, I think that's that's why she's had so much success in her career. So, um, fantastic having a meet on the program, Matt. What else do we got before we cut for the day? What else do we have? We have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our new website where all things real estate related live. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for things like the Live Wire. This is our weekly mailer where you get stats. I just had a builder actually reach out when we sent out the most recent stats. Yes. Called me to thank me. Oh, for the stats. Yeah. Very nice. We're, we're sending out stats, different types of stats, sales ratios. There's no reason why you don't want to be on the live wire. Apart from the stats, you get VIP presale access to tons of different presales right now. You get deal of the month. There's just no reason why you don't want to be on the live wire. We also have private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available at your fingertips at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. You just got to click the buying button and it's going to take you there. Also, if you are a seller and you're getting excited about the spring market, we are. And uh, we here's, are. here's one thing. Things are definitely picking up. I was out with uh, our good friend, uh, Josh Lasco today who uh, is our uh, photographer and uh, videographer and really just a great guy. All around great guy. Um, yeah. But Josh uh, was saying that his phone has been ringing off the hook. It sounded almost, he, he, he said he was overwhelmed. Wow. So a little bit a sign that there's some inventory coming. If you are thinking about selling and you want to sell with the best, I should now say, Adam, how can they get a hold of you? But I will say, Matt, how can they get a hold of you? They can hit sell with us, Adam, on our new website at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at any time, 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Well, thanks for listening. Have a great week. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our recent episodes, please share them with a friend. Friend, of course, and please give us a five-star review on wherever you listen to your podcast or Google or even Google or even Google, even Google. <laughs> have, okay. a, have a great week, guys. And uh, we'll see you next week. Take care. Spaces for radio. Subscribe today.